Welcome to Budget Watchdog, All Federal, the podcast dedicated to making sense of the budget, spending, and tax issues facing the nation. Cut through the partisan rhetoric and talking points for the facts about what's being talked about, bandied about, and pushed in Washington. Brought to you by Taxpayers for Common Sense. And now, the host of Budget Watchdog AF, TCS President Steve Ellis. Welcome to all American taxpayers seeking common sense. You've made it to the right place. For over 25 years, TCS, that's Taxpayers for Common Sense, has served as an independent, nonpartisan budget watchdog group based in Washington, D.C. We believe in fiscal policy for America that is based on facts. We believe in transparency and accountability because no matter where you are in the political spectrum, no one wants to see their tax dollars wasted. It's Thanksgiving week, 2022, And it is clear now that the new year will bring a divided Congress. Democrats control the Senate, Republicans in control the House of Representatives. And while most of the country is focused in on the elections, one of the most important and widely underappreciated documents to emerge from any White House was recently released. On October 12th, President Biden transmitted his administration's update to our National Security Strategy, or NSS for short. Dear podcast listeners, the NSS is a report mandated by Section 603 of the Goldwater-Nichols Department of Defense Reorganization Act of 1986. And this is how the president tells Congress the executive branch's national security vision. Here now to give us the budget watchdog's take on the 2022 national security strategy is TCS senior policy analyst, Wendy Jordan. Welcome back to the podcast, Wendy. Thanks, Steve. Are you ready to nerd out on national security? Always. (laughs) So, Wendy, the NSS is a 47-page document that begins with a quote from President Biden's May 19th, 2021 address in New London, Connecticut, to the United States Coast Guard Academy's 140th commencement exercise. The world is changing. We're at a significant inflection point in world history. And our country and the world, the United States of America, has always been able to chart the future in times of great change. We've been able to consistently renew ourselves. And time and again, we've proven there's not a single thing we cannot do as a nation when we do it together. How does President Biden describe the strategic challenges facing the nation in the NSS? Well, I should have known you'd bring it back to your very own alma mater, Steve. The Coast Guard Academy. Mothership. (laughs) What year did you graduate from the Coast Guard Academy? 1991. Uh, That's a while ago. So, and uh, who spoke at your... So this would have been... 30 years after I had my uh, commencement, well, that's right. uh, where uh, then Chairman of Joint Chiefs of Staff General Powell was actually uh, my speaker, the late General Powell. So yours would have been the 110th commencement exercise, if I'm doing my math correctly. Uh, Sounds about right. Yep. It, I have to say it's so cool to have a callback to the Goldwater-Nichols bill from 86, because uh, that was a huge shift, a sea change, really in how the Pentagon operates within the overall national security apparatus of the country. Uh, Among other things, Goldwater-Nichols brought about Special Forces Command, uh, which was a major change in both the organization and emphasis of the Department of Defense. Hearing about it and reading about it and thinking about it really takes me back to my days as a young Hill staffer 
So that's a walk down memory lane for me. I had been on the Hill just a few years when Goldwater Nichols was considered and passed uh, and signed by President Reagan. And you, what you need to remember about the national security strategy, which is going to be the focus of what we talk about today, is that it's one of four major overviews that are required every four years and that coincide with each presidential administration, even if it's the second term of a president. So every four years, you go through this drill and you, they produce the national defense strategy, uh, which is specific to the Pentagon, the nuclear posture review and the missile defense review. But the national security strategy is the big kahuna of them all, or maybe the big Lebowski. I'm not sure. I think kahuna goes right, but you know, I was <laughs> okay. born in Hawaii. So digging into the NSS, Wendy, as I see it, there are three specific lines of effort informing the overall national security strategy. And I'm quoting here, number one, invest in the underlying sources and tools of American power and influence. Two, Build the strongest possible coalition of nations to enhance our collective influences to shape the global strategic environment and to solve shared challenges. And three, modernize and strengthen our military so it is equipped for the era of strategic competition with major powers while maintaining the capability to disrupt the terrorist threat to the homeland. All right. So what do you take from that, Wendy? Well, it's really a diplomacy-heavy approach, especially when you hear the first two in particular. Uh, you know, underlying sources and tools appears to be talking about non-military capabilities. And of course, coalition building is definitely a diplomatic effort like the United Nations, NATO, et cetera. Got it. So, Wendy, what should those who watch the federal budget read into the NSS and its emphasis on diplomacy? And- does President Biden's national security vision mean less spending on the defense side of the ledger? Well, happy as we are to see these quote unquote soft power ideas as numbers one and two, my spidey senses developed uh, over many years of watching the Pentagon budget tell me that the national security strategy is going to be used to justify still more spending on national security in the coming years. Number three in particular, that line of effort is, quote, modernize and strengthen our military, end quote, as you just said. Look for that phrase to be quoted a lot as members of Congress seek to justify a higher Pentagon top line, because as you and I both know, Steve, modernization ain't cheap. Well, and actually, you know, Wendy, it seems like a lot of times, even though they're talking about modernizing, they're still trying to keep legacy systems along as well. And so you're buying the new stuff, but you're not actually getting rid of the old stuff. And so you're just piling on more maintenance and more uh, cost onto uh, the Pentagon and taxpayers. Yeah, don't get me started on legacy systems. We've written a lot about that at TCS and People can go to our website and search for legacy systems and read a lot about uh, particularly the secretary of the Air Force trying to retire some systems and Congress saying, no, no, I uh, can't do that. OK, so digging a little deeper and shifting a little bit here, Wendy, um, how does climate change stack up as a national security threat? And what can we expect to see by way of spending here based on the NSS? There is, I'm happy to say, significant emphasis on both climate change and energy security issues. Uh, the strategy seeks to reduce risks to food and water supplies, public health, infrastructure, 
And obviously the pandemic and the ongoing war that Russia is waging in Ukraine are top of mind when uh, talking about energy security in particular. Uh, one of the things we've been advocating for at TCS is for in the future requests for proposal um, for government contracts at the Pentagon uh, to give an edge to bidders who take corporate action to reduce their own climate impact uh, with the vast, vast buying power of the Pentagon. Uh, having such an element in future Pentagon contracts would make a significant impact on corporate responsibility. We're pleased to see the Biden administration appears to be moving in that direction, although it is not that idea is not specifically called out in the national security strategy. Gotcha. But yeah, we are uh, preparing comments for a, a rulemaking right. that would uh, amend the, the federal acquisition regulations, um, the FAR, which governs the Pentagon, but also NASA and GSA, you know, which is basically all the buying going on um, in, in, in government. And so, or a lot of the vast majority of the buying going on in government. And so that's something that can have huge, huge impact because podcast listeners, you know, the government buys a lot of stuff. It sure does. You're listening to Budget Watchdog All Federal, the podcast dedicated to making sense of the budget, spending, and tax issues facing the nation. I'm your host, TCS President Steve Ellis, and we continue now with Wendy Jordan, TCS Senior Policy Analyst. Okay, Wendy, let's discuss some of the budget wildcards here as we consider the Biden edition of the national security strategy. You mentioned Ukraine, um, but uh, I assume that's one of these wildcards that it's going to have to be, it's going to be impacted, right? Yeah, I, I think the ongoing war in Ukraine has to be top of mind when you're thinking about what's going on with the Pentagon budget as well as policy. Uh, I mean, if you think about, I don't even know, was it a week or 10 days ago when we all got twisted around the axle uh, when a rocket landed on the Polish side of the border with Ukraine? Uh, I know I was holding my breath at the thought of a potential Article 5 declaration by NATO um, because Poland is a member of NATO. And as you know, Steve, as all national security nerds know, Article 5 is the so-called Three Musketeers Clause of uh, the NATO Charter, which means all for one, one for all. If, if one NATO nation is attacked, it is as if you have attacked all NATO nations and all NATO nations respond. Uh, so anything that tips the balance of power in Central Europe is going to have a major impact on uh, the Pentagon budget. Absolutely. And um, I certainly remember the, the scary times about that, about the, uh, the, the missile and who, where, where it was fired from and, and, and directed to. Um, I actually saw today that the, um, the AP reporter who uh, relied on one um, unnamed uh, source um, actually lost his job. Uh, it was that serious uh, for AP. Looking again at some of these these wild cards and 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 maybe not wild cards, but really you know major players in the deck. Um, I'm sure that there's a there was a lot of emphasis on China and the NSS as well, no doubt. Yeah, of course, China, Taiwan. That's been for as long as I've been doing national security issues. Uh, what's going on in that region of the world has had a major impact on uh, how the military services. Uh, prepare for potential war in that part of the world. Uh, and no doubt, President Xi is watching the Russian invasion into Central Europe with interest. Enough said. Well, thankfully, he um, actually talked about um, that nuclear 
weapons and nuclear activity should be off the table. Um, and so hopefully... Well, that's President comforting. Putin was listening? Yes, yes, exactly. Well, it's better than not saying it at all. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> while we have you here, Wendy, what are some of the other national security budget issues that our podcast faithful should know about? As you and I have just alluded to in this conversation, top-line negotiations for the Pentagon for fiscal year 2023, which by the way, started on October 1st, but we still don't have the spending bills for each federal agency. The negotiations over the top line for the Pentagon are ongoing on the Hill right now. And what we're looking closely at is will Congress just automatically give the Pentagon everything it asked for on the so-called unfunded priorities list at the beginning of the year? You know, that would be over $20 billion right there. And there's evidently a second set of unfunded priority lists, which is something I have never heard of in my years of watching the Pentagon budget. Uh, it's evidently circulating on the Hill. We have no idea what the what the top line number for that is. My guess is that some of that will be related to inflation pressures on the budget. But none of these stories that we're hearing about negotiations are anything that would give, give comfort to a fiscal conservative. Yeah, well, and, and, you know, you have some members of the House uh, or incoming members of the House and, and a few senators as well talking about kicking the can um, past December 16th into uh, actually calendar year 2023 to deal with the uh, the negotiations. So that hopefully in their mind, the House would then be a Republican majority and they may have some more leverage over both increasing Pentagon spending and decreasing domestic spending. And even the incoming current minority leader, soon-to-be majority leader or even Speaker of the House, uh, leader of the Republicans in the House, uh, Congressman McCar uh, McCarthy, he's even talked about kicking the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization, um, into the next year, which is something that, you know, they've got a, a decades and decades long uh, track record of getting that done every year. And so we're kind of in an interesting in time right now. Yeah, more than 60 years of passing the NDAA, not always on time, I'll say that. It's not always before the fiscal year starts. You know, sometimes it even bleeds over into the calendar year, but it always passes. So this will be an interesting debate to watch. Yeah, and, and we both know that things don't happen quickly. So if they kick the can into January, it's going to quickly be March. Yeah, and yeah. who knows, we may even be looking at a year-long continuing resolution or whatever. And certainly, considering the House Republicans are going to have a very small majority um it's going to be, you know, and they've definitely got some of the some of the majority makers from them are the more moderate members, not the more conservative members, yet the conservative members are the ones who are flexing their muscles. So it's going to be a, a pretty unwieldy majority uh, that the uh, uh, that the Republicans have in the in the House. At least that's my view. Yeah, mine too. I, it it's it's going to be interesting to watch, and by interesting, I mean awful. Uh, so, <laughs> I, you know, just buckle up and uh, get ready for the ride. Buckle up, Buttercup. You got it. All right. So one other thing that was just recently in the news, national security, Pentagon related, is um, the audit. You haven't uh, mentioned the audit. So what's going on with uh, that soap opera? God, when will this long, sad story end? I mean, it, it just <laughs> it's been going on for a long time, more than a decade that they've been debating, that Congress has been debating whether or not to require the Pentagon to subject itself to an audit. It was the only, only agency 
that had never been audited. Uh, and, you know, the, the law was finally passed that, yes, the Pentagon has to subject itself to an audit. And uh, since uh, 2016, I think, right, uh, the Pentagon has repeatedly, we don't like to say failed, I guess, it has um, not gotten a clean audit opinion, so which is the same as failing. You've got an op-ed coming out on this that we hope to see in the next few days. So not to spoil that, I'll just point out that of all the hundreds of procurement programs in the Pentagon, just one was called out for failure to, quote, provide or obtain accurate and reliable data to verify the existence, completeness, or value of its government property. Care to guess which one, Steve? Well, we were talking about Big Kahuna before, so I'm thinking F-35 with a trillion-dollar sustainment cost. Yeah, that's right, Steve, the F-35. As I was reading through the latest iteration of the audit, uh, and we read these things so you don't have to, uh, as I was going through it, I I found the section on identified material weaknesses, of which there were 28 identified in the audit. And most of them have these insomnia solving phrases like segregation of duties, universe of transactions, accounts payable. Those are the so-called identified material weaknesses. And then the joint strike fighter program. So, you know, of all the programs in the world, of course, that would be the one that for whatever reason is incapable of offering up for the auditors the information that they need to give it a clean audit opinion. So more to come on that, I'm sure. Uh, But Congress has almost always in the last few years added to the Pentagon's request for F-35s. And um, I'm sure that will continue in the future. Well, you can be assured, uh, Budget Watchdog AF faithful, that TCS has passed its audit. But then again, we don't have an F-35 program. So bringing it back to the NSS, Wendy, um, you know, this is is kind of laid out in the beginning, really the sort of 30,000 foot view of the national security strategy. And it's only what I think you said, 48 pages. And I mean, that's a lot of ground to cover in 48 pages. I mean, what's the real world implications of the NSS? Does it really guide how the Pentagon and Congress approaches things, particularly considering we're having divided government again um, going forward? Or is it just another document? Well, for sure, Goldwater Nichols, um, when they were writing it, wanted these documents to uh, wanted the national security strategy and the national defense strategy to inform the budget process, right, as well as the policy process. So I can remember when I was a staffer in the Pentagon, you wanted your program, whatever it was, to be obviously covered by whatever was written in the National Defense Strategy, which is the one that really is just the Pentagon, and then the overarching National Security Strategy, which includes State Department and now Homeland Security and, as we discussed, climate and all sorts of things are in the the more overarching national security strategy. What you want, if you, if in the future you are going to be arguing for money for your program, whatever it is, it can be a policy program, it can be a procurement program, 
if you are wanting Congress to fund your program, the best position to be in is to be able to hearken back to what's in the national defense strategy or the national security strategy and say, to achieve X, we need my program, whoever you are in the Pentagon, we need this program to be successfully funded to you know a certain level. Gotcha. And so you really just want to have a, a hook to hang your hat on to be able to, to argue for your, your program. Right. Well, there you have it, listeners. We talked about diplomacy and putting that forward. And we talked about some of the national security impacts. And as you all know from previous podcasts, just as it's cheaper to pre-spawn to disasters as opposed to merely respond to them, so too is it a huge cost savings for taxpayers when we are able to invest in diplomacy rather than fight a hot war. This is The Frequency. Mark it on your dial. Subscribe and share. And know this, Taxpayers for Common Sense has your back, America. We read the bills, monitor the earmarks, and highlight those wasteful programs that poorly spend our money and shift long-term risk to taxpayers. We'll be back with a new episode, and I hope you'll meet us right here.